Well, welcome once again. Um, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, today, as we wrap up 2015, we're going to also be wrapping up our series in Nehemiah that we started uh, pretty much since I got here in October. We're going to be wrapping up looking at the prophet Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open up to Nehemiah 7. That's where we're going to be today, Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere near you. Uh, the words will also be on the screen as well, but we're going to do some jumping around because it's a long chapter. Um, so Nehemiah 7 is where we're going to be. While you're getting there, I'll catch you up since we haven't been in it in four weeks. But uh, Nehemiah was called, he was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, and he was called by God. His brother came to town, excuse me, and said, the walls of Jerusalem, this place, the city of God where God's people dwelt, the walls of Jerusalem are still in rubble. It's been 70 years since God's people had returned to Jerusalem. They had been exiled, taken captive, spread all over the land. They've been back in Jerusalem for 70 years, and the walls, the protection of the city, were still in ruins. It was still chaos, and it broke Nehemiah's heart. And so Nehemiah was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and because of God's provision, he was able to get the money, the materials, the people he needed to make this project happen. And we saw through the chapters that through the teamwork of many people, some not even from Jerusalem, some from surrounding cities who just felt that they wanted to be part of rebuilding this city, the walls were constructed. There was some strife, there were some attacks, there were groups of people trying to kill Nehemiah at one point to stop him from building these walls because they knew that God's people were dwelling. They knew God was in this. They knew that it needed, they wanted it to be stopped for their own evil desires. But because Nehemiah was dependent on God, God blessed the project, the walls were established in record time. It took just a few months for them to rebuild the entire walls of, of Jerusalem. And so today we're going to wrap up, we're going to look at Nehemiah, and we're going to see that for this place to live up, for Jerusalem to live up for what it was called to be, to be not just a place existing, not just sort of a city, but a city that was thriving, a city that was um, really pursuing, reflecting God to the community. For this place to live up to what God was calling, calling it to, Nehemiah had to set a plan in place for the future. He had to develop leaders. He had to have a plan for what was coming next. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into chapter 7. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for another opportunity to worship and celebrate you and your goodness. God, as we enter, or as we exit out of the Christmas season, the Advent season, Lord, help us to not stop waiting, not stop anticipating your son's return. God, as we look forward to a new year, Lord, help us to pursue you in this new year above everything else. Help us to, as we set new goals and we set resolutions and we try and evaluate what our lives look like, Lord, give us the opportunities. Help us to put into place the time and the energy it takes to pursue you and to build up and be lights in this neighborhood. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. Amen. All right, so seven, chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Let's stop right there, actually. So Nehemiah says, look, he was committed to seeing this place fulfilled. Nehemiah had a burden on his heart to rebuild these walls, and he was going to stick it out and be there until the very end. 
He was committed to seeing his calling fulfilled, even though it got hard, even though it got scary and ugly and he didn't know what to do it sometimes. He was committed to being there. He was called to do that. But he also knew he couldn't do everything on his own. He had to set up a plan. He had to get other people involved in this. Things were established now. He says the gates, the doors, the, everything is set up. The walls physically are in place. And now spiritually, he's called back the singers, the Levites, the priests, those people who were going to lead God's people into worship. He calls them back to start to establish community, establish rhythms in that place once again. These were the people that were going to lead God's people in worship. Because that's the whole point of rebuilding these walls, right? There's no point in building these walls if there's not people. The whole point, the walls were to protect so that they could worship God, they could live and be in community without the fear of being attacked or the fear of being taken captive again. And so Nehemiah stuck it out. But as, we, and we've, as we've talked about, Nehemiah was wise. Nehemiah had discernment. He knew he had to get more people involved. He knew he had to establish leaders. He had to have a transition plan. So he appoints two men. He appoints his brother Hananiah and Hananiah. That's a pretty awesome tag team. Hanani, if you go back to chapter 1, was the brother who came to where Nehemiah was, the capital of Persia, and told him, hey, the city is destroyed still. The walls are still in ruins. Hanani had deep in his heart a care and a desire to see Jerusalem thrive, to see God's people thrive. And Hananiah, it says what about Hananiah? It says he is the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. He was faithful and God-fearing. Two important keys in serving God's people. Be faithful, be God-fearing. It doesn't say that these two men were the smartest. It doesn't say that they had the most experience. It doesn't say that they had gone to seminary. It doesn't say that they had done any of those things. It says they were faithful and they were God-fearing. That's what is needed to be helpful, to help the church thrive, to help to see this place grow, we need people who are faithful and God-fearing. Faithful to, first off, your own faith. Faithful to pursuing God, pursuing God on your own, outside of Sunday morning. And faithful to this place. Faithful regular attendance. Faithful in giving. Faithful in getting connected. Faithful in pursuing other people and building relationships. And people to be God-fearing. People to understand, have a right understanding of who God is in relation to who we are. That's what it takes to have people, to have this place thrive, to have this city thrive. He needed leaders who were like that. We need people in this church who are like that. That is what's going to help CF go as we move into 2016, as we grow, as we start to do some different ministries, we try and reach into this community. We need people who are faithful and God-fearing. That's what we need. And I know a lot of people are going to come up with already different ideas and different things in your mind, like why you can't get involved, why you can't be helpful. Those are just excuses. We need faithful and God-fearing. Everything else we can teach. Everything else you can grow in. I want you to, right now, there's, a, there's an old phrase, a lot of people maybe heard it. It's, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And what they're saying is that it doesn't matter how much experience you have, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how many different things you've done in the past. God calls people Regular people. This Bible is filled with regular people that God calls to do really important things. The, there should be a connect card around you. Everybody take out that connect card. It looks like this. It's a little square card. I have one. 
I had one. Little square card. I want everybody to take it out. I don't care if you're new. I don't care if you've been here for 50 years. I want everybody to take this out. Looks like that. Everybody grab one. Okay. These connect cards are going to be in the backs of the pews, the backs of the chairs. Everybody should have one. If you don't have one, stick your hand in the air. We got extras. There should be some in seats all around you. There's, I know we have enough to cover this crowd, I promise. Okay, so everybody take one. So on the front, it has a place for your name, address, phone number, email. Some of you have been in this church for a very, 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 very long time. If at this point you haven't received emails from me, I don't have your email. And that means Amy doesn't have your email. So please give us your email. Please give us whatever contact information is most up-to-date for you, okay? If you haven't been getting any correspondence from us, that means we don't have your contact info. We're also working on putting our directory together. This will help with putting our directory together, okay? On the back, if you flip it over, it says, I'm interested in, and it's got a whole list of different things there, ways to get involved in this church going forward, okay? These are different things. So here's what I want to do. We're going to walk through all of these this morning. I'm going to challenge you this morning. I want you to circle at least one of these areas where you can be interested in serving. I'm not saying you're committing to a lifelong thing where you're stuck doing audiovisual until you're dead. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, hey, this could be interesting. I would like more information. That's all. So the first one, audiovisual. We'll start there. Making the, making the mics work and having the PowerPoint run. Every week, one of our elders, Wayne, is in the back right now. And he makes all of that happen. Wayne is not a professional audio tech guy. He is not a professional PowerPoint presser. Wayne saw a need, and he serves in it every week. Every week he's back there. Wayne needs some help. It would be helpful if Wayne could take a week off from doing that. And I know some of you are like, I have no idea what I'm doing on the audio board. That's okay, neither do we. <laughs> we also, going forward, have some contacts with some people who are going to come and help train us on the audio board. So if that's something that would interest you and help learn how to make the, make the mix sound good for the music, that would be interesting. Again, you don't have to be a professional. We're going to teach you. For PowerPoint, everybody take a finger. Everybody take a finger. Go like this. Press down. You can run PowerPoint. It is that easy. Press down. As long as you can follow along, you can press down, you can do PowerPoint. Okay? The more people we get involved, the more people we can do a rotation. And the less times the same person has to do it over and over again. So if you're interested in audiovisual, there you go. Children's ministry. We're looking on reestablishing our children's ministry. We're putting together a new curriculum. We're, as we reach into the community, you guys know this about Roscoe Village. This community is nothing but people with strollers everywhere all the time. Kids are all over this neighborhood. And as we reach into the community and we call people to join us in worship, they're going to bring their kids. So we need people. We have right now five or six people in our church who rotate and get ready for if, if we have kids show up for children's ministry. The more people we have the less of a burden it is on every, certain, every person every week, okay? Community engagement. Again, we want to be a place where, that is serving and loving Roscoe Village, a place that loves and cares for this neighborhood. So we're looking to put together a team of people who are interested in finding ways for us to serve Roscoe Village. Things like when we went caroling at the beginning of the month, um, getting involved in Retro on Roscoe in the summertime, Doing different things. We got two grammar schools in this neighborhood that we could serve and love. 
So I want to put together a team of people who just want to take time to say, let's find ways that we can show Roscoe Village we love them. And whether or not that translates into them coming to church, whatever, our job is to be a light and to serve this neighborhood. That's what we're called to be. And so we're putting together a community engagement team. Hospitality. If everybody can smile and wave and hand out a piece of paper, you can do hospitality. Okay? Hospitality is easy. How, when people come in, whether they are new, whether they're regular tenders and they've been here for 100 years, when they come in, what is their experience on a Sunday morning like? Are they being greeted? Do they know about, do they have a bulletin handed to them? Do they know where the coffee's at? What do the slides look like? What does the chalkboard look like? These different things. Amy's going to be heading up a hospitality team of just trying to look at what does our Sunday morning look like? Is it look the best way possible? Is it putting our best foot forward? Is it a way of saying so that when new people come, they feel loved and appreciated and they don't just feel like they're the new awkward person, but they feel loved and they feel the hospitality of Christ. So the hospitality team, super important. That one's starting real soon. Small group leading. So right now we have three small groups in this church. We have a, a Monday night women's group, we have a Thursday night men's group, and we have a Sunday morning group okay, that's open to everybody. It's a mixed group. If you're not going to one of those three groups, you are missing out because all three of those groups are doing awesome Bible studies. We're walking verse by verse. It's a great place to ask questions, get to know people, really build relationships with people, and learn more about the Bible. We'd like to launch more groups, but the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we have more people interested. Okay? So if you're interested in small group leading at some point, maybe not even right now, maybe it's something where you say, hey, I'd like to get trained, I'd like to learn more, but maybe that's something I could do, go ahead and circle that. Now, when we're talking about small group leading, when we're talking about children's ministry, there are certain, certain places in service where not everyone gets to do it. Just because you circle something doesn't mean you get to do it, right? So children's ministry, we're going to run a background check on you, okay? We're going to do, there's going to be certain expectations for different ministries as far as who can do what. But I want to know if what you're interested in. I want to know if that's something you think that you could do at some point. Um, and then small group hosting. We have people who might want to lead, but they don't have the space to hold eight, nine people in their house or their apartment. We've got moody students who are living in a dorm room like this that might need a house. So maybe you don't want to necessarily lead a small group, but maybe you say, hey, you know what? I can open up my house or my apartment to some people. And I can be hospitable and let people meet in our house, meet in our apartment. So if you're interested in hosting a group, let me know. Prayer team, putting together a prayer team that's going to pray before services on Sunday mornings and then be around after services to pray for people. We also have Ann takes care of our prayer emails throughout the week, um, getting prayer requests and sending it out for people. When we do potlucks, they're going to be involved in getting, putting together our prayer services that are going to be part of our potlucks. Okay? Um, and then there's a whole bunch of blank space on this card. If there's something else you're interested in, go ahead and write it in. I forgot to add the worship team on here, and I didn't realize that till like 8 o'clock this morning. My bad, Daniel. If worship is something you're interested in, you sing, you play an instrument, go ahead and write that in, circle it. Again, we're going to probably have to hear you sing and play beforehand. It doesn't just mean you get to get up and do a solo. But I want to know what you're interested in. I want to know what the areas you want to serve in. We are at a place right now, outside of those three small groups, we're not doing a whole lot as a church. We have the chance to start new ministries, to start new things, and we can do that based on what we're passionate about, not based on what we're already doing. It's a really cool, exciting time, but I've got to know what those things are. I've got to hear what those things are. So different ways you want to get involved, circle something. There's also room for prayer requests on there. We're going to collect these in at the end of the service with our offering. Okay? 
So I'm expecting, however many people are here right now, I'm expecting that many Connect cards to come in, all right? Cool, Connect cards, very important. The point of these cards is to get people involved, to get us moving, to get us engaged. They're gonna be here every week, and if there's changes to them, I'm gonna let you know about the changes. But they're here every week. It's the best way for you to get in contact with me. It's the best way so that I know what's going on. Unless you come up and grab me, you gotta fill out a card. It's the best way so I can reach out and I can know what's going on with you. The point of these cards is to get people involved. The point of the walls in Jerusalem, the point of Nehemiah's passion project was so that people could safely protect, be protected and that people, when they lived there, could serve and worship. The point of this church is to proclaim Jesus to the neighborhood and to the city. But it takes a group of us to do so. It takes lots of people getting involved to do so. Let's keep going because Nehemiah, not only does he set some people in place, but he also sets up a plan on how they can protect this, this new, newly built walls. So look at verse 4. Well, actually, the end of verse 3 says, They appointed guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and some of the guards were posted in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. And no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, different Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispereth, Bigvi, Nahum, and Bana. So Nehemiah had a plan. He said, okay, the walls are built. I want you to open the gates at a certain time of day. And when you open those gates, I want you to make sure there's guards in place. And I want you to set up guards in the city. Set up guards at different points of the wall and set up guards and people in front of their own houses. Because here's the deal. They can build up these brand new, beautiful walls, but if nobody's paying attention to the walls, people are just going to climb right over them and attack. They had to set up guards. They had to set up people to be in place. Just because they had this successful mission, just because they had success in building this wall doesn't mean they got to quit. Walls are no good if no one's paying attention. Right? We should celebrate and rejoice. Good things are happening at CF. We should celebrate and rejoice. For those of you who are members, you were at the last members meeting, our finances are starting to turn around. We're starting to put some money in the bank. We're caught up on our taxes. There are awesome things happening. It's stuff to rejoice about. That's super exciting, right? We've done some potluck events and a couple of events here, and they've had great turnouts. Awesome. Let's rejoice. We did the rummage sale. Raised over $1,000. It was so fun. We've actually already done some work to the roof. That money has already gone to use. We've already stopped some of the leaks of the roof. It's pretty exciting because those leaks were happening near my office. These are things to celebrate and enjoy, but that doesn't mean, okay, we did some cool stuff, now we can sit back and we don't have to pay attention to any of this stuff anymore. No. We set up guards. We pay attention to these things. We pay attention to the finances. We pay attention to the repairs that still need to get done. We do more events because they were successful. We in con continue to encourage people to get involved. We can't sit back and say, hey, some cool stuff happened, now we can quit. We should rejoice and celebrate, but we have to be on guard. Right? Those people who attacked, as we studied Nehemiah, 
we saw different groups of people attacking Jerusalem, attacking the people who were building Jerusalem. You know what we didn't see? There's no record of those people attacking anybody for those 70 years because they weren't doing anything. There were people just sort of living there. But as soon as Nehemiah got a team together and they started doing some stuff, they started clearing out the rubble, they started building things up, that's when the enemy attacked. Because they saw God's people working. And that's why they have to have guards now because Jerusalem is doing some stuff. Jerusalem's coming back together. You see, Satan doesn't need to attack people or congregations that are standing still and not getting anything done. Satan wants to attack those people and those groups who are pursuing him who are pursuing God, who are pursuing trying to be a light in this city. He's going to come after those people who are trying to do what God has called them to do, so we need to be on guard. Yes, we should celebrate the successes and the awesome things that we got going on, and the things that we got going on in the future. That doesn't mean we stop paying attention to some of the issues. We don't stop paying attention, and we need to stay on guard. Because if walls without people watching them don't do anyone any good. Nehemiah also noticed that problem in verse 4. He said, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Just like a wall without guards is, not, is kind of pointless, a city without people doesn't do anyone any good. People are important. The walls don't mean anything if they aren't protecting anyone. And so Nehemiah gets a plan. He says, I want to figure out who's here. Who do we actually have in the city? Who's come back? Who's left? What, we need to take a head count here. And so he goes back and he looks at the first, the, the old census, the one from when they first returned after those 70 years. He says, who are these people that came back and reestablished themselves in Jerusalem? Who, after 70 years, is still here? Who uprooted their lives? Who, after they had been in Babylon, they had reestablished themselves. They had been generations after generations in exile. They had learned to live, learned to deal with being no longer in God's land, but they had learned to live outside of that. Who of those people, when they had the opportunity to come back, said, you know what, I'm going to reestablish myself. God is calling me back to this city. God is calling me back to Jerusalem. Who uprooted themselves? Who established new grounds? Are you called to be here long term? Chicago is a transient city by nature. People in general stay in this city three, four, five years. If you weren't born here, most of the time you come, you stay for a little while, and then you leave. Three, four, five, six years. This city needs people to root themselves in it. God loves the city. Right? We talk about in Revelation, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And what else? A new Jerusalem. That's where God's people are going to dwell, in the city. God loves urban. God loves people living close by. God loves people getting into each other's lives and being in community. God loves city life. He loves this city. He loves Chicago. I refuse to believe that Chicago is hopeless. I refuse to believe that it's too far gone. The short amount of time that I have been in this role, as I have gotten to know and meet and know you guys, I refuse to believe this city is hopeless. As I've met new pastors, I've met different pastors in the city, are banding together, who are joining together to try and say, you know what, I don't care what denomination you are. You love Jesus, I love Jesus, we need to work together because this city is dark and broken. I refuse to believe that God has just wiped his hands of Chicago. But what it's going to take to see this city thrive, to see this city rebuilt, 
with the gospel in mind are people to root themselves here, people to plant themselves here and say, this is my home. I'm going to be here until God tells me otherwise. Look, I know, I know it can be hard to live here. It's exhausting, it's frustrating, and that's just talking about the bears. I know that it's hard to live in this city. I know that it can be frustrating at times. But God loves the city. He loves this city. And he's calling some of you to stay here long term. He's calling some of you to put roots deep into the ground and to say, this is my home. This is where God wants me. I want to see this place thrive. Because this city needs lights. It needs people to be here and proclaim the gospel. And what's great about that is that God is inviting us into his story. He's inviting us into the story of him redeeming this city and being those lights. He doesn't need us, right? God can do what he wants, but he invites us. We get the opportunity to be part of his story by planting ourselves and saying, we're going to be a light in Roscoe Village. We are going to proclaim the gospel and serve and love this, this village and this city. Nehemiah said, who is it who felt called to plant themselves, who, who felt called to say, you know what, this is where I want to be long term. And so as you read through, and we're not going to do it today because we'll be here all day, but as you read through from verse 8 all the way through 60-something, there's a lot of people mentioned there. It says in uh, verse 66, down towards the bottom, it says, the whole assembly together was 42,360 beside their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, for a grand total of 49,697. From a small group committed to rebuilding the walls and uniting around a cause, they became this unified people, this city, this community. No longer were they exiles. No longer were they the uninvited. No longer were they cast out, but they were a united people in a united place. And each of these people are important. Think about it. Think about how many people actually get their names in the Bible. Not a whole lot. There are people here, individuals mentioned, family leaders mentioned, people who God say, these are important. And it's important that people know for generations that these were the people who helped reestablish Jerusalem. Each one of these people have a story. Each one of them had a history. And Nehemiah knew that it was important that he write down these people. He knew it was important that these people be made mention of because they were going to be important to the future of Jerusalem. He understood, we're going to move forward, but to move forward, we have to understand where we've been. We've got to understand who's here. And I know it seems like a long list of names to us that don't really mean anything. And usually when you get to the Bible and you read the genealogies, you just kind of skim by them. And I get that. But it's because of these people listed here that Jerusalem goes from being a town that was amongst ruins and rubble to being a thriving community once again. Being the city where God's people gathered. To being the city where God's people worshipped. It was once again the place of life. It was a place that people traveled to to be. And about 500 years after this story, in a small town outside of Jerusalem, a little baby is going to be born. And he's going to get laid in a manger. And that little baby's going to grow up. And one day he's going to enter into Jerusalem. He's going to show up with his friends in the city of God, the central location to worship and celebrate God. And he's going to show up because it's time for Passover. And then a few days later, that 
that man who's grown up is going to get arrested and executed just outside of the walls of the city. And in doing so, he is going to pay for the sins of the world. These names listed here, these people helped Jerusalem thrive again, helped make it the city it needed to be, helped make it the place where people go to worship, make it the place where 500 years later, Jesus is going to show up to worship and gather with his people, and then eventually, just outside those walls, be killed. These people play an important role in those of you in this room who are Christians. These people play an important role in the history of God redeeming the brokenness of creation through sin. These people play a role in that. These names listed here help to make the redeeming story of God possible. Nehemiah lists out all of these names, these family leaders, and then he gets, we get to the end of chapter 7. And we see that not only were these people here and established themselves, but they were generous if you look in verse 70 through 72, it talks about the amount of money um, and different, different things that the people gave. Because not only were the city walls built, but houses needed to get built. The temple needed to get rebuilt. These things were important, and so people gave, and they gave generously. A thousand darks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, 500 minus of silver, Different groups of people said, you know what, we want to give. Not only do we want to be here and be people here, but we want to give here. We want this place to thrive, and we need some money to do it. We need some resources to do it. And so they band together. They were generous people. And we see in verse 73, so the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. The people are where they are supposed to be. While the focus of these seven chapters of Nehemiah that we've been studying was about building the walls, it was really all about the people. It's the people, it's the, their situation, their lack of community, their lack of living to what God had called them to, that's what broke Nehemiah's heart in chapter 1. That's why he wanted to serve. It was the people. This is the story of God bringing his people together, calling them to live not amongst the ruins and the rubble, but to thrive as he has called them to be. As we wrap up Nehemiah, I really think there are two words that I think we need to cling to and remember about Nehemiah. The first one being prayer. We saw in the first seven chapters in Nehemiah, over and over again, Nehemiah responding to situations, good and bad, through prayer. He responds when he is in danger in prayer. He, he has these long, thought-out, developed prayers where he spends time alone with God. He prays scripture back to God. He has these long times where he is in communion with God, in communication with God. And then there are times where he's in the moment and he just says, God, help me. God, I need you. Prayer is a regular prayer is a marking of Nehemiah's life. Is it for us? Are we a people, as a group and as individuals, a people marked by prayer? Do we respond regularly to situations, good and bad, through prayer? Do we go to God with what we might think are the little things, but to Him are important because they're important to us? Is it an area where you struggle? Is it an area where, you know what, you don't even struggle because, you know what, you think prayer is too hard. I'm not even going to worry about it. Are you trying to develop your prayer life? Are you trying to pursue God? 
pursue communication with God? Is it something where you're doing? And if it's hard and if it's a struggle, the best way to continue to strengthen your prayer life is keep showing up. Keep pursuing God because the more you go after him, I promise you, he will show up. He is a God who will show up. And I know prayer can be hard, and I know, and I'm not saying you need to go home, lock yourself in a room, and pray for three hours. I'm saying start with five minutes. Spend five minutes just talking to God. And then after that five minutes, five minutes eventually is going to get easy. And then you can go up to seven minutes. And then you can move to ten. But pursue God. Pursue communication with God. Prayer is a gift we have been given. And if it's an area you don't struggle, if it's an area where you feel like, you know what, my prayer life is pretty solid. I, I, I can go to God. I know I can go to God in different moments. I have time to set aside for prayer. If that's you, awesome. And I really hope that CF is in your prayer life. I hope the elders are in your prayer life. The different ministries we're doing in your prayer life. And if it's something that you feel like, you know what, prayer is something that I've struggled with, I've, I've grown in, I've developed, find somebody in the church who isn't as developed as you in prayer and help lead them. That's what discipleship is. That's what the church is made for. People who are strong in certain areas to come alongside, those are who are weak, and lift them up, bring them along. Nehemiah's life was marked by regular prayer. It's vital and it is strong and important to the Christian faith and it is the way we connect with God. The other word that I would say we need to think about when we think about Nehemiah in these first seven chapters is thrive. Nehemiah knew that God's people, God's city, was not meant to just exist, but rather it was meant to thrive. He works and he gets others to join in and eventually, because God is good, we see that this sort of city return to the place it was supposed to be, return to what God had envisioned for them. Are you thriving this morning? As we wrap up 2015 and we head into 2016, are you as an individual thriving? Are you living in excess? Are you living in such a way where you know that you are living into what God has called you to? The only way to truly do that is to know Jesus. The only way to truly thrive, to truly live the best life possible that God has made for you is to know Christ. And not just know him intellectually, like yes, there was a dude with a beard who lived. I'm talking about to actually know him, have a relationship with him, and trust him as your savior, as the one who died for, on the cross for your sins, making it possible for you to be a son or daughter of God. Do you know him? Are you thriving? And we can't even talk about the church thriving until we answer that question. Where are you with Jesus? And if it's yes, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, I believe he died on the cross and made it possible for me to have a right relationship with God, is at that point, then we can start talking about, is the church thriving? Because it's meant to. We are not meant to just sort of be here. We are called to be a light in this neighborhood, to love this neighborhood and this city. It's what we are made to do. That is what CF is made to do. But as I've been saying since I got here, it's not a me thing, it's not a me and the elders thing, it's an us thing. We, as a community, are called to serve this place. We are called to love Roscoe Village. And just like a city with no people is pointless, a church without any lights is pointless. If we're not doing the things God has called us to, if we are not pursuing communication with him through prayer, if we're not pursuing getting to understand and know the Bible more, getting and having communion with one another, relationships with one another, if we're not doing the things the church is made to be doing, what are we doing? CF is called to thrive. 
Are you dedicated to seeing this place thrive? Are you committed to seeing CF be a light in this neighborhood? Because if we're going to live up to what God is calling us to, if we're going to live up to being the church God has called us to be, it's going to take a lot of prayer. And it's through that prayer that we're going to be able to thrive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. We thank you for the stories in it. We thank you for giving us a, a person like Nehemiah to look to and, and see what a, what a leader looks like, what a man of God who pursues you looks like. Nehemiah didn't have all the answers. God, we don't have all the answers, but we can look to you and you'll lead us. God, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to fix our eyes on you and to be quiet enough to hear when you say, this is the way I want you to go. God, give us the boldness to follow you, even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to us. Give us the boldness and the courage to follow into you. Lord, we thank you for these thousands of people who established themselves in Jerusalem, who planted themselves, who left what was comfortable and went back to a place that was chaos because they felt you leading, because they felt you involved in that situation. God, thank you for rebuilding Jerusalem and making it the place where God's people dwelt, making it a place where people would gather, making it a place where it made sense where Jesus would show up and allow himself to be arrested and executed. Because through that, we have new life. We have life and life abundant in you. We can thrive because Jesus let himself die. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you what you called CF into. We thank you for keeping this, this building in this neighborhood for this many years. Lord, we don't have all the answers. We don't know what 2016 is going to look like for us as a church. But we know that we want to be a light for you. We know we want to proclaim the gospel and proclaim the good news that Jesus can give new life, new life to this neighborhood, new life to this city, new life to this country and to this world. Lord, we thank you for the years and years of faithfulness you have given to this place. And we thank you now for the years and years going forward that you give. We pray all of these things because God is good. Amen.